three. Hello and welcome to Discover Energy Work. Today is a, well, a kind of special day because a few days ago, Shirley Blanche from the UK, who's running a podcast, and she's going to tell you what all about that, contacted me. And within a, a day, yeah, instead of like a lot of people that contact me and like, oh yes, you can contact me sometime, but like Shirley Dynamic, within a day we were talking. We planned it. I said like a short talk. An hour and a half later, we we got off the we got off uh, Zoom, and I said like, you've got to come on my show, and uh, you know tell us about your experiences and everything else. And today, so Shirley, it's Shirley Blanche, isn't it? It is. Would you right. give me gives your world uh, the world uh, your intro? Yeah, definitely. So uh, thank you so much, first of all, for having me on. It's always good to, to come on and sort of share some really positive stuff. Uh, so basically, uh, my name is Shirley Blanche, as you said. My business is Get Mindful because I'm a mindfulness coach and meditation teacher, um, as well as other things. I've studied lots of other things as well. Um, and I host a podcast uh, called The Mindfulness Cafe. And the idea behind it really is to, with my work and with the podcast, is, is a very simple idea, which is just to help empower people over their own health through sharing people's stories through sharing my own story and the things that I know but also by inviting other people on and to share uh, to share <laughs> share and inspire now, share and inspire so where is where do you feel I know we've gone through all this so I know some of the answers already but like I'm discover energy work I'm about like empowering people to say you know, perhaps in the simplest way, uh, thinking something positive or envisioning something positive, that would be very simple energy work. But there's all kinds of energy work. Um, where do you feel, um, you, you know, the energy work or the inspiration to connect with me and uh, discover energy work came from? I mean, I always, I just feel like you never meet anybody by accident. So that's, that's a, a basic principle in my life that anybody that when I'm in a certain energetic vibration, the people that match that vibration show up. And so I think it's no, it's no coincidence that I'm here talking to you now and that this has happened so quickly. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that everything is energy and it works in mysterious ways. <laughs> Um, and there are many different avenues. And I think uh, for me personally, I studied uh, energy healing um, and I've studied lots of different aspects of that. But I think uh, when I did the actual energy healing work, what I found was that I just wanted to talk to people. <laughs> so uh, part of the thing about healing is you, you, you really don't want to be talking to people because you want to be focusing around the energy more. And also you don't want to be um, one of the things that we were taught with healer training. And I don't know, you know, if you were taught the same is that actually you've got to be very careful if somebody's coming to you for, for healing. There is such a thing as a nocebo effect as well as the placebo effect. So anything that you say that people could take to uh, to sort of really respond to that you may be picking up on something that they may then worry about, you know, so you just got to be very careful and very quiet when you're working with people in a healing capacity. And I just love talking to people. And so I really felt that even though I'd learned about the healing, that actually maybe my healing was to be done through speaking. Um, because, you know, as you know, you, you, were, you thought you might have a 10 minute chat with me an hour and a half later, you were there. And so mm. I feel like we all have our own unique 
gifts and ways of sharing healing in the world. And I just feel that maybe mine is through my voice rather than through actually doing the energy work. Itself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, in our, in our talk before is, you know, we were, I was saying, you know, psychics, the new gay, you know, like um, if we say we feel something energetically, um, you know, we, we can even uh, take a, energetic transmission from people is like oh like away you you're like a weirdo yeah and of course that harms us that's like a nocebo you know i mean placebo nocebo um it, you know i i think it it can definitely harm us um and and so we tend to sort of not talk about it and when we you know when we're doing energy work on people yeah we have to be sure that uh you know a lot of people, they can even undo their own uh, energy work because they just like think, oh, you know, like I've worked on some people's shoulders and they, they've gone, oh, it's good. And they've gone like, oof, oof, you know, punch their shoulder and then slam it against the wall. And I said, it, it hurts when I slam it against the wall and punch it. So, yeah, but you, you don't normally do that. What are you, why are you suddenly doing that to yourself? <laughs> It's, it's very interesting, isn't it? It's very interesting. It's almost, I think it's sometimes people almost can't accept, you know, I mean, that's just a, that's just a blockage to acceptance of the healing, isn't it? It's like I've got to undo, like undo it in some way because it maybe it doesn't sit completely right with, with where I am at the moment. But I think the nocebo effect is something, I, you know, I'm very interested in, in applying um, all, healing in all sorts of different ways mm. to people's personal mm. empowerment over their health because of the way that I came into this was through losing my father to cancer and how that journey and I also lost my mother-in-law to cancer and one of my closest friends during the time that he was ill as well oh. and so my reality at that point became very very focused on disease rather than health mm. and mm. I became very anxious around that subject and so I think I'm probably very hyper vigilant to things that that might affect people on a on a subconscious level to their to their healing and so I think words can be really powerful and words can yeah. harm or they can heal and so right. um so I'm just very conscious of that it's um, do you mind if I ask you a little bit about that? Because we did talk about it. So yep, you, you sure. were saying your your father uh, had cancer, and then yep. that led you to be interested in uh, this area. So what was the experience there? Yeah, back in 2006, my dad got diagnosed with esophageal cancer. Mm. Um, he had a five-year journey with that. Um, and there were periods of remission, um, but I think that the thing that, that a lot of people, unless you've been through that journey yourself, what you don't realize is that it's not just the diagnosis, it's the constant tests, it's the constant treatments, it's the constant appointments. So you're living in a heightened state of stress for a lot of the time, regardless of whether it's you going through it or your family around, you, everybody's waiting for the next test, the next scan result, the next prognosis. So you're constantly living in this, this state. And during that, that five-year period uh my mother-in-law got diagnosed with cancer as well uh a, a kind of un, unusual form of cancer of the womb and she had a, a lot of treatment and unfortunately she passed away uh and also one of my closest friends who'd been battling um 
breast cancer, who was somebody that I'd known since I was a, a teenager, she also passed away. So, so there were three people in my life that kind of passed away in a, in, in a relatively short space of time. So my reality became at that at that point, well, everybody just gets cancer and dies. You know, like who's next? Because I'd seen that shown to me so many times. You know, because I'd had this experience, and and that's that's you know that's not rational thinking because of course I could have looked around and seen other people that I knew during that time who'd had cancer and not died but we become very uh we become very irrational when we're when we're running on fear and when we're running on stress mm. and because I think I was a stay-at-home mum at the time and I had a lot of time on my hands to think about stuff mm. I had two small children um that gave me a lot of time to focus on this thing. And then I noticed that it started really affecting my behavior and, and my well-being to the point where I was going to the doctors quite a lot because I was worried that I was getting cancer all the time. Um, I was becoming hypervision. Any, any like any um, article that I would see about cancer, I was consuming, you know, it was like you be can become very tunnel vision over one thing. So I and I think that the that it had become to the point where I was almost talking myself into getting ill or, or to somebody around me getting ill. It almost seemed like an inevitability to me because this is what I'd seen. And I think also because my husband had gone through that, that experience with one of his parents during this time as well, that a lot of our conversations were around, you know, it wasn't like there was just one of us going through it and then the other one would say, but come on, you know, yeah, we were both going through this period of grief um, and so so that exacerbated, I think, the focus on this particular subject. Mm. And it really wasn't until somebody said to me one day, have you ever considered that you might not get cancer? <laughs> that I suddenly realised how irrational my thinking had got and how catastrophic my thinking had got. Mm. Because it, it took for somebody to say that to me, for me to realise that I hadn't actually considered that could be an option. Mm. You, you were also telling me that um, something your father went through with a, a healer particularly impressed you yeah definitely so what it did was it was there were some things that that I was left with afterwards that made me ask some questions about about things so you know I would never say to anybody don't go down the traditional medical route because you know everybody has to go through whatever whatever treatment they feel is right for them and I think you have to be very positive about the treatment that you're having whatever that treatment looks like um, but the reality for, for me at that time and the reality for the people that I knew that were going through this at that time was we'd invested all our faith in the medical profession. And then when they turn around and say that they can't help you anymore, then you're left in a really scary place because it's like, well, what, what do we do now? You know, you've, you've you told us that, that this would work and now it's not worked. And now what do we do? And I think this is where people then start to look for other things. And certainly, you know, come from a very traditional family of my dad was open actually to trying different things and he'd had acupuncture and maybe some other stuff. So it wasn't like he was completely closed off to that part in the mainstream we'd get ill we'd go to a doctor you know so there, there was no kind of energy healing or anything like that but being in that situation we went to uh, somebody who'd been recommended as a healer um, and at that point my dad was in a lot of pain he was on enough fentanyl to knock out a rhino but he was still in a lot of pain you know so that was the strongest stuff that they could give him and um and so out of desperation he went to the healer and of course what we were hoping was that she would heal him and he'd and the cancer would go away and he'd get better the reality of it was though that actually she would get him out of pain 
so whatever she was doing however she was working with him he would come home from seeing her and he would just sleep and he would be out of pain and actually at that point that was such a gift for us because to see my dad out of pain was just a a, a joyful thing right because yeah, I mean, it was be very interesting he's not going to we haven't got any drugs. We haven't got any more drugs that we can give him. He's in pain. Yeah. There's nothing else we can do for the yeah. pain even. And she's, yeah. you go and see somebody without any uh, medication, yeah. just like energy or spiritual or some kind of healer, healer and then yeah. he's without pain. Maybe. Yeah, which was, you know, and I think this is where people kind of don't always understand healing. You know, it, healing isn't necessarily about curing. It's about helping whatever you need the help with at that point you know and I think sometimes people kind of get confused with what that is and so so healing can look like a, a number of different things and for him at that time I think also the other thing that she was amazing for with him was he she was somebody that he could talk about his acceptance of his death you know and at that time he had certainly you know he didn't have very long left and he and he um and none of us wanted to talk about none of us wanted to accept that <laughs> at that point right. so he couldn't really talk to any of us but I know from having spoken to her afterwards that he was able to speak to her so I think it wasn't just the healing that she was doing for him I think it was almost like a form of counseling and helping him with that transition at that period in his life yeah yeah I mean it definitely don't think it, it changes when we experience something we can't explain and somebody's saying well I'm you know, I'm working on an energetic level because you're you're not you are actually more energetic than you are physical, if you like. Because once the physical body is gone, there's still the still the energy. So um, that that can definitely open your mind. I I can imagine for a lot of people. I, it was it was it was very interesting that and and the other thing that I think that she did that she said to him which he spoke to me about um because he knew that I was very aligned with this sort of idea of things I've always been very open-minded to things mm. so I would say that although I'm I'm a natural skeptic because I would question everything on all sides you know like mm. and I think it's I think that's a good good way to be mm. um and so he would have conversations with it and he said one of the best things that or, or one of the things that he found actually he didn't say it was one of the best things one of the things he found really confusing at that time was that she had told him not to fight the cancer and I think that and she had told him because if you're fighting it who are you fighting you're fighting yourself and and he was she would so she would say we're, we're healing we're not fighting we're healing and so my dad was a you know he was he sort of set up a boxing club in 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 where we live for young people and stuff like that he'd always been interested in books so for him right from the start of this process of having the cancer it was always like I'm gonna beat this I'm gonna fight it and I'm gonna beat it and this is the narrative that I think we see a lot especially in mainstream media campaigns around health around especially things like cancer come on we're gonna fight this thing we're gonna take it on but I, then let's start thinking about what that actually means when we're in a fight or flight mode what mode are we in we're in a stress response which isn't the best response to be in for your immune system and for healing and so she was encouraging him also to see things differently from that perspective and I 
I think that that was very, very interesting. And certainly that was one of the things that stayed with me. And also at that time as well, I was sort of skeptical enough to think, well, this isn't some magical, mystical woo-woo type of thing. I, but there's obviously something that he's responding to with whatever she's doing, that his own pain killing mechanisms are kicking in and that he is then able to go and rest and heal and sleep you know so it just made me it left me with a lot of curiosity around that and I think when I started on my own journey it was initially driven very much by fear because I wanted to empower myself because I didn't want to be in that situation myself or see somebody else go through it without feeling like I had something that I could do but you know what I think a lot of journeys start from a place of fear you know because it makes us do something and it makes us make a change. Right, right. Well, um, yeah, there's a there's a lot to to that. I was talking. Um, I think we were talking about about this. Uh, um, uh, what do they call it? Oscillation or pendulum motivation, where when you've got a problem, you're prepared to do. You know, when you've got a health problem, you're prepared to do something about your health. If you're healthy, you're going to be eating chips and watching TV. And until you've got a problem, you don't you don't do anything. And that's when you're swinging left and right and so on. And so. Um, I suppose what the healer's saying, maybe don't fight the cancer because you're just you're you're not addressing the the bigger issue, which is like supporting your health, building yourself up, loving yourself. Like that, that that's like the Chinese medicine is they don't they don't even fight disease. They they strengthen the core, and the core does everything. The, the, the natural intelligence of the body knows how to knows how to solve these things. Yeah. Um, I, I always sort of say to people, you know, now I think of it like if you're saying, well, I'm fighting something. Well, you know, cancer isn't like somebody that's turned up at your door with a baseball bat. Do you know what I mean? It's something that's happening internally inside of you. And I just think think of it as maybe a, a, a teenager that's gone astray that you love and you want to bring back into the fold. You know, it's about it's about creating love, isn't it? So it's about self-love. And you, how are you loving yourself if you're trying to fight yourself at the same time? You know, it just doesn't it doesn't work from an energetic perspective. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but let me try and get a segue from here to mindfulness, because mindfulness has sort of yeah. sort of been uh, almost you could say, I'm not sure. So correct me. It's sort of taking the woo woo out of meditation and or anything, you know, uh, spiritual out of these things and saying, OK, well, there's this core which we could say it doesn't matter what background you've got or what religion you've got you could do these practices and you're going to find some benefit uh, because the body really the body and the mind really res respond to these um, and then you know so you didn't go and you didn't join you know a energy work group you 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 were attracted to to mindfulness which is this more pragmatic approach is that right well, actually, no, what happened to start with was as I started to go on this journey, I, th I actually went and joined a group of healers and learned to meditate with a group oh. of healers. So I actually started, I, I went on a weird route to mindfulness. So I started doing all the more woo-woo stuff. You know, I started with a group of energy healers. I actually trained as a healer myself before I even found the mindfulness. So I, I then uh, stumbled across a, a, a form of meditation called uh, transformation meditation which sort of combines mindfulness
mindfulness with transcendental meditation, uh, which I found that quite interesting. Um, I did a mindfulness-based cognitive therapy course uh, because I loved the idea of, of combining uh, CBT with mindfulness because I'm a real, let's change stuff person. Mm. And, and, and this is the thing that I, I would say to anybody, if you're looking for, to work with somebody on your own healing journey, then find the right person for you because because I'm not the right person for everybody. <laughs> yeah, and I would say that upfront because I'm a real, let's change something, let's do something. I have that energy about mm. me and not everybody mm. wants to do that. You know, mm. so it's about finding the right. So I was going very much down the route of let's change some stuff. Let's do, what can we do? What can we do? Uh, so I did the mindfulness-based cognitive therapy because I thought that was really interesting. Mm. I then, um, my children at that time, one of my sons was going through some issues at school. He was having a bit of bullying, like lots of kids do. Um, and I saw a course for uh, teachers to be able to teach mindfulness to children and I thought well this could be really cool because actually what I can do then is empower myself as a parent to have some really good good tools to help my son and and to help my own kids go go through some stuff and have some tools to empower them and um, so I, I sort of even though it's a, a course for school teachers I sort of blagged my way into this uh, course to learn how to teach mindfulness to children uh, then realized that I'd made mindfulness the least cool thing in the world to my own kids <laughs> because if their mum's doing it they're probably never going to want to do it themselves um, so they so but what I would say is although they have never really done the meditation of mindfulness what they see is they see me doing it and that acts as an example to them and they find their own forms of meditation and they find their own ways of, of dealing with things because I'm modeling to them uh, the behavior so so I did that and then I learned how to teach mindfulness to uh, to people in the workplace because that was a kind of add-on to that course so that you could go in and teach it to teachers if you wanted to and then I thought well you know, if I'm not doing this with my own kids, then maybe I could help some other people's kids. So I started just going into schools and see if schools wanted to do some mindfulness. And and uh, and I remember the first day I went in and stood in front of a class of 36 kids and they said, okay, you've got two hours and these kids are yours now. And I'd never taught anything to children ever. Um, and I did that and they all loved it. And it was just really rewarding. And so I kind of have meandered into into doing uh, the mindfulness from that perspective. And it wasn't really anything that I'd ever considered doing. I'd never considered doing any of this as a job, to be honest. Um, but I've been so motivated to try and help other people learn what I've learned along the way that this is why I do what I do now. Right. So you're, you're going into schools and teaching the children to cool it yeah, to, to be able to find some some space inside where, where they weren't really aware of before. Is, is that right? So, yeah. So the great thing is that I think because the mindfulness thing, like you said, has been taken, you know, there's there are some arguments like can it be proper mindfulness if you are taking a spiritual element away from it because the spiritual element itself is so powerful and, and healing but definitely mindfulness has been in you know certainly in the UK and I think in, in other countries as well has been brought into this kind of secular place into a more clinical setting because of the work John Kabat-Zinn has done and putting to and putting in place these mindfulness-based stress reduction courses um, and then other people have evolved it from there and there are certainly in the UK there are certainly very specialized courses where people go into schools and sort of teach it the one that I did actually combined um, emotional resilience with mindfulness which I think it's really really important because again I think that some people just see mindfulness as a panacea and that like this is all we need but I always say to people mindfulness 
this is just a tool, like a number of tools that you have that you can use in, in, a, in your tool set as, as a practice. So the course that I did was very much about where you teach kids how their brains are working. You get you teach them an analogy about different parts of the brain, what's actually going on there. Mm. And then you incorporate some sort of breathing stuff. So trying to make it fun, trying to make it interesting, getting them to speak positively about themselves. So not everything that you would consider to be mindfulness was sort of integrated into this practice. So I, I sort of started doing that and I've done a fair amount of work in schools and teaching to teachers as well. It's sort of then evolved to teaching to teachers and then, um, and then moving on to really sort of working with adults and running uh, groups within the community to, uh, to help people with their own well-being. Because what I realized is that you know, you can go into schools and you can run these little things and it's a, a sort of tick box exercise. But then if they're still sitting in a class with a teacher who's stressed out or they're going home to parents uh, to a stressed out environment there, it, what you're doing is, is kind of quite ineffective. Right. Essentially, you've given them maybe one or two things they can do for themselves. But but the reality, I think, of making anything like this work is to integrate it into the culture. So, you know, and, and the, the, the problem is that you can kind of go into schools and some are very willing to do that. And then others, it's just a tick box exercise and you've been in and you'll say your bit and you'll go away again. So I like the idea of integrating it into into teachers practice so that they're modeling it and also to teach it to parents as well so that they're modeling it. So what you're doing is you're creating this culture of just you know really good positive self-development you know and 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 the stuff that i wish that i'd known you know just right. good emotional literacy well good communication. now let me just pause you for a second because i know what it means but i'm i'm not sure everybody knows what emotional resilience means or emotional literacy means and would you like to explain what that means People. Yeah, certainly. And I'll, you know, I give it from my definition of just from, you know, what I've learned. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a real empath, and I'm sort of like quite a sensitive person. And I say so something like emotional resilience was always really difficult for me growing up, because anything that anybody would take, I would take to heart, I would blame myself for everything. Uh, I'd always take responsibility for everything. So I found, you know, criticism quite difficult to deal with. Uh, I wouldn't have a growth mindset, I'd have a real fear of failure, I'd have real you know perfectionism around everything and I think a lot of the stuff that's come out you know sort of from the psychology world of like growth mindset so like just because you can't do it doesn't mean that you it doesn't mean you can't do it yet so you know things like that so losing your fear of failure uh being prepared to be yourself uh you know talking about yourself in a positive way just just really little things like that and and we might think well that we that we don't talk about ourselves negatively but we do in our heads all the time you know like everybody that I've met always talks about themselves so I do this exercise at the beginning of of workshops and things and I just say just tell me something great about you just to just pick five of your strengths and just tell me about them and people always apologize for it you know they're like oh this feels really awkward uh but I think I'm quite good at you know, um, because I think culturally, certainly in the UK, we, we've got very much a culture of, well, if I talk about myself positively, then people are going to look at me and think, wow, she really loves herself. And think of that in that language. We're told that it's really important for us to love ourselves. But if someone starts saying, hey, I'm really great <laughs> at whatever, we're like, hey, she really loves herself. She's an awful person, <laughs> you mm. know. So we have this, this really interesting relationship with positive self-talk. So emotional resilience is, is really kind of working on yourself, seeing yourself in a really positive way so that you can 
it doesn't really then matter what people say outside of you because you're only going to respond if you believe it yourself you know right. so it's being kind to yourself um and being able to sort of people say bounce back but I'd like to say bounce forward because you notice what triggers you you look and see what's going on internally and why that's happening and then you've you've got some really good tools to help you navigate that emotionally so that you can use it as a way of developing and 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 just kind of getting better at what you do so I would that for me that's what emotional resilience is and emotional literacy is really teaching children and teaching ourselves to communicate our feelings uh, and, and really talking about our feelings so that we're developing good language around our emotions so that we're able to put our emotions into words because I think sometimes some of the problems that we have is that we can't always express ourselves and when we can't express ourselves um, it, it's very frustrating Right. With my children, I had uh, one of my sons had delayed speech because he had a slight problem with his hearing. And so I've seen firsthand how frustrating it is when you can't, when people won't let you speak. So people would try and finish his sentences for him because he had problems with words, you know, recollecting the right word, finding yes. the right word in time. Yes. So he would, you know, maybe stop and say, um, a lot. And, and then somebody would finish it for him or, or, or try and do something like that. Um, my other son had a problem with um, his comprehension for, for a time when he was uh, growing up. And so he would be able to use really brilliant words. And he's a great speaker and he's you know and he's very extrovert but he wouldn't understand the words that he was using and he would use them out of context so people thought he was understanding but he couldn't follow simple instructions and so I suppose through that journey as well I've understood the importance of communication and the importance of uh, emotional literacy that you can teach to young people. Mm, yeah amazing and, and have you had any um, like feedback from from uh, you know kids or, or teachers that said like wow uh, you know like uh, stories um, where you know surprise surprise somebody's like really made uh, you know, amazing uh, breakthroughs well I used to do um, you know I used to do these sort of drop-ins my favorite thing to do is I used to do drop-ins at a school uh, at my son's secondary school actually so it was with older children and they would come in and they would see me on a one-to-one -one basis and just chat about stuff and quite often they just wanted to chat about stuff you know um it was nice for them at school I think just to see somebody that they could just be themselves with and communicate with um and one of the biggest things they would say is nobody listens to me and I think that that's really important um mm. and quite often you will find that that your kids will say you're not listening to me and we just don't really listen to what that means because actually sometimes they just want to be heard you don't need to agree with them, but they just want to feel like they've been heard. And, and I would certainly get feedback from them saying, um, you know, oh, that thing that you told me really helped me. You know, one girl that I was working with that had panic attacks and I just gave her a very simple breathing exercise to do if she was panicking somewhere. Because what I like to do is, um, so just to sort of probably be a bit more clear about, you know, the way that I approach the mindfulness stuff really is mm. I like to give people real-time things that they can incorporate into their everyday lives mm. so that they can um, 
so that they can access them because that's what I've done for myself. So when I started learning all this stuff, yeah, I, I did the meditation and all that kind of stuff, but I started to hack, hack it a bit so that it would fit in with my life so that I do things in the way that I would do them, that maybe other people won't do it. Mm. Um, and so I feel very much like, you know, there, there'll be people out there who are much more qualified in mindfulness or, you, you know, or other things like that. But the thing that I do that is different is I've just taken mindfulness principles and I've made them work with my everyday life. So I will see somebody and they'll say, oh, you know, there was this one girl and she used to have panic attacks in public spaces. So there'd be, you know, she can't sit down at that point and do a mindfulness exercise, but she can do a simple breathing exercise. You know, um, and and so what I would do is I'd say, just like get your finger and just draw around your hand and breathing in and out as you draw around your hand, because when you're doing that, your focus and your attention is taken totally away from your body where you might be really struggling with the breath. So if you're if you're focusing on breath work and you're focusing on your chest area and you're having and you're feeling really panicky, uh, that's not necessarily the right place to be focusing on at that time. But by just taking her attention away and she would just draw around her hand like that. And she would just do one breath in, one breath out, one breath in, one breath out. And, and just using her hand to draw around her other hand, using one finger to draw around the other hand, mm. that took her attention away from the area of her body where she was struggling mm. uh, to another area and stopped her thinking the thoughts that were making her panic. And so, so for her, that was really good. One of the things that I would do is if kids were coming in and they were really stressing about exams and stuff, I'd be telling them about the different parts of their brain and, and why when we're in the stress response, you can't remember things and you can't process things properly. Um, and so that was really helpful to them. But I, do you know what I used to just say? One of the most simple things that, that people said had the biggest impact on them, and this was whether it was parents or kids, I would just say, okay, so we're always worried about things that have happened in the past or things that might happen in the future. So we, if, you, if you think about the stuff that wakes you up in the middle of the night, it's always like you're playing over something that may have happened during the day and you you can't change that or something that may have happened a really long time ago because sometimes people never get over that stuff either um or we're trying to predict the worst possible outcome for ourselves in the future because we somehow think that if we can predict the worst possible outcome it won't happen uh or it will feel better when it does happen and the truth is that if that thing did happen it's not going to make you feel any better the fact that you've been worrying about it for so long so i would say to them in this moment right here right now where all you've got to do is focus on sitting on a chair listening to me speak and just bring yourself right into this present moment. What worries do you have? And then they would go, oh, but I'm still worried about my exams. I'm still worried about, you know, this issue at home. I go, no, 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 right here, right now. Just, it's sitting on that seat. All you've got to do is you're sitting on a seat in a room with me, listening to my voice in this moment, what worries do you have? Mm. And then that would make them go, oh, right in this moment, when that's all I've got to do, I have no worries. And I'm like, well, you can bring yourself into that moment at any time that you want. Yeah. And it's almost giving people permission to not worry. And I think that's interesting because they're told all the time, you've got to be worried about your exams. You've got to get your exams. You've got to be worried about, you've got to be thinking, you've got to be thinking, focus on this, focus on this, focus on this. But actually they're never given permission to not worry. No one ever says you don't have to worry. It's actually worrying is optional. Yeah, it's interesting because from an energy work point of view, uh, worrying is casting a casting a curse or a spell on your on your own future. Yeah, because you're sending yeah. you're not sending good energy to it. You're just like sending yeah, like what what's the worst that could happen? Like, don't even ask that question. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, you should be strong it, to it. That's the that. point. Yeah, you should be strong to it. I mean, that that's that's my 
Uh, it's like you need to be strong to all, all possible outcomes because we just don't know. It's like like uh, the current situation in in the government, like or in any country in the world. Nobody knows which way it's going to go. Probably spending all my time thinking about what's the worst thing that happen. There is somebody that actually that's their job, yeah. So they're preparing for it. Um, but uh, internally, we need to be strong for everything. That's that neutral. We were talking about it, that neutral mindset. Um, you know, it really does help with that neutral mindset when you come into now, for sure, uh, or come into the present moment. Definitely. And then the other aspect of mindfulness, which is the non-judgmental aspect, I think is really important. And that comes into play because like you were saying, if we start judging things as good or bad, then we'll have an emotional response to that. And then we start creating more of that. And we and, and whatever we focus on becomes the biggest thing. Because look at, you know, my focus on the on illness and disease, you know, like I know how these things can take over your, your mm. life. Mm. So when things happen by sort of going, well, it's not a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know yet. You know, like I'm not going to judge it because I don't know how it's going to end up. Because actually I could probably look back over some of the things that I thought were the worst things that happened to me and go, actually, do you know, if that had never happened, then this would never have happened and I wouldn't be here now. And so we don't always know. So right. so just not taking away that judgment aspect, I think, helps. And I, I, I always like the Abraham Hicks thing of uh, things are always working out for me you know, like that little affirmation, you know, so if something happens in my day that wasn't what I wanted to happen, or wasn't what I think, I just say things are always working out for me, because in a way that just makes me feel more optimistic that I might not understand it now, but this could actually be a good thing. Yes, yes, that's, uh, there's a lot of wisdom in, in, I would say it's almost not positive thinking, it's just believing that, oh, I might not, well, okay, from a, from a, a Christian point of view, you'd say like, you know, uh, I think Jesus says, like, God's taking care of every single bird. Uh, don't you think he's going to take care of you? And from a Buddhist point of view, it's, um, um, oh, it's that's so funny. It was in my mind, what was what, the Buddhist? And I thought, well, I'll explain the Christian first. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I can't, can't, totally forgotten the Christian, <laughs> the, the, the Buddhist uh, explanation. But, um, uh, yeah, um, I think um, being strong, being on the middle way, that we're not uh, we don't we're not judging the the past or the future or whether something that happened is is good or bad for us. It's just the thing. the 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 mind labels things, doesn't it? So it just labels things and good good and bad. But you'll find somebody somebody finds something that you find bad good uh, there's a great story uh, in germany there was a guy that uh, he was a butcher and um, he discovered um, he met a chinese person and he discovered all of the um, uh, chicken feet were being chopped off and thrown in the mesher yeah in germany so whenever you know people were you know preparing kitchens to be sold at supermarkets they'd chop like very high up, they'd chop, you know, uh, the joint and there'd be no chicken feet. When he heard that, he said, right, I understand that the Chinese and the Thais and the Asians, they love chicken feet. It's a delicacy, yeah? And they would literally just buy bags of chicken feet 
and uh, and he made an absolute fortune. And it's just, you know, well, our judgment doesn't really see the whole picture. That's it. Buddha's first, uh, Buddha's first um, instruction on why we suffer is lack of understanding about the true nature of reality. That's what I was going to say. Anyway, come back. I love that. It was worth waiting for, Richard. Yes, yes. <laughs> it was worth well, waiting for I, that. I kind of, you know, fudged, f- fumbled and fudged for a few minutes <laughs> telling you like things. I thought, well, it'll come when it's supposed to. Absolutely. Yeah. But it is really important. And and also I would I think as well, because because sometimes you can talk to people and people say time heals and it does to a degree, but you can also talk to people. And I've had people in my, my wellbeing groups who will talk about something that's happened maybe 20 years ago and they will still cry when they talk about it because actually they haven't addressed it and it is very suppressed. And so it's still very painful and very difficult. So I would say as well, you know, it is, it's, it's really important to get to this place of acceptance and and the reason that I can talk about the losses that I've had in my life and and all that kind of stuff is because I have gone and worked through them and done and and done the work on it as well so I I think it's an an important aspect of that it is and I I like the expression I mean it sounds like a joke but it's um I think Milton Erickson said it if it wasn't Milton Erickson it was Richard Bandler he said it's never too late to have a happy childhood yeah because you know we need to also go back and heal these things. Yeah, it's like in now we can go back into the past and clear clear it up and turn it into something instead of uh, um, crap. We turn it into fertilizer. Um, so, and and that's the interesting thing about energy work. You, you're working you're working in past, present, future. I remember working with somebody and. I was working with her about an allergy and it turned out it was everything, everything to do with the allergy was about something she was worried about in the future. And, and wow. clearing all that, the allergy cleared. Like, who'd have guessed, yeah. Um, but that's, yeah, that's kind of, yeah, energy works kind of cool like that. Go well, I think when you start looking at people's subconscious programming, you know, and, and you start to look at your own, certainly going back and some of the things that you believed were true and how that's affected your affected your belief system but also where you place your focus and where you place your focus is is it determines where your emotional response is going to be and that and that determines how much energy you have because of the link between our emotions and the energy states that we have I think it's really it's really important well there's there's that I mean there's the whole um morphic fields idea where it's it's like um once there's a, a sort of um, uh, enough people that believe a certain thing, then that thing starts to become almost energetically real, um, and uh, and it can affect us whether we believe in it or not. Yeah, so it might be something we don't believe, but still that the energy of it can affect us. Yeah, I think that's yeah. um, I think that's uh, something that Rupert Sheldrake talks about yeah morphic resonance isn't it and it, it, you know where where animals will start behaving in a particular way and then the, their counterparts in other countries will start behaving in a, in a particular oh, way because they're almost picking up I think it was they, he, he noticed it with with um I think there were those stories of uh blue tits or something when they started drinking the cream off of the milk in in 
where they started pecking through the top of milk bottles and drinking the 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 cream off of the top of milk and then their counterparts in the states started doing it at exactly the same time and he and he's talked about things to do with rats and rats understanding suddenly you know rats in one place will come across a poison or something that's going to kill them and they'll they'll recognize it and so they won't go to it and then rats in other other areas would do the same without it and it's like they can connect on an energetic level without being in the same even in the same country or the same continent it's it's a fascinating fascinating subject and he's a great yeah. he's a, see, the, the advantage that, that rats and blue tits have is they don't have to have things proved by science first before they believe them <laughs> well i think you know that certainly certainly he makes some great points doesn't he that science has almost become the religion of our of our time and and that in in the same way that people used to look at priests and and think that they had all the answers and they had would have to look to priests to tell them what to do um i think we definitely have that at the moment with with science and scientists and and you know and i think the idea of being truly skeptical is just to be open-minded and and also what's very interesting i think is is that there is the people like him are sort of looking to ex use science to explain the human experience, not denying the human experience because it doesn't fit in with the science. What they're looking at the saying is, you know, well, you, lots of people are having this experience or they're having psychic experience. What could that be? And let's try and find something some, to sort of back that up. Whereas you will get other people who are very attached to an ideology who will say, well, that can't possibly be. So you didn't experience that and sort of almost denying people's experiences that they I, that they have had. Yeah, that was interesting story. Um, Raymond Moody. I don't know if you know the story of Raymond Moody. Yeah. Uh, so Raymond was a philosophy professor that then became uh, a psychiatrist. So he did the whole medicine degree and then specialized in psychiatry. And he uh, changed the, um, uh, the, was it the um, uh, diagnostic, uh, diagnostic criteria manual um, from if people had a near-death experience and would be out of their body and everything else, then they would psychiatrists would think that, that was definitely abnormal. And now we consider it, consider it a normal phenomena. So the near-death experience is you won't get put into a mental asylum if you have a near-death experience. We have so much we we have so much documentation about these experiences. And we know it's a natural uh, a natural thing and that guy is an amazing he's a he's a skeptic if you ever watch him um uh, talk on videos he's just like very cool um you're i wanted to ask you you're running a podcast as well i'd like to you know let yeah you explain a little bit that about that to all the listeners or five yes or five million yeah yeah, let's let's create that reality right now, Richard. Let's go for that. Um, definitely. So uh, I co-host, I should say. I'm sort of hosting it mainly at the moment because of because in the UK at the moment we're in lockdown, um, so just we can't sort of hang out. So myself and uh, Paul Rumsey, who is a guy I met who, um, and again, we met by chance, but I just think that people don't come into your life by chance. Uh, we met and uh, at the gym, which, it, and if you ever speak to Paul, he'll say it's very rare for him to have been at the gym. So that in itself was like a, <laughs> you know, a, a sort of real coincidence. Um, and we started chatting and I don't even know, but I will go and talk to people randomly um, about 
and, and we discovered that we had a lot in common and we discovered that he he sort of studied years ago he has an honorary do, uh, doctorate in philosophy and he studied metaphysics and his aunt was involved uh, very much in this sort of community that she developed in america he's he's a sort of um american born but he lives in the in the uk and he'd been a dj out in la back in the 80s and 90s uh, before he pursued more of an it career and he kind of went down a corporate route um, and then he went through this experience where he got this very good job this very good sort of high-flying corporate job and then got made redundant in his 50s which was a really really hard thing for him to go through and that like impacted him massively uh, and so i think he'd he'd been through his own challenges with his own mental and emotional health and is on a path back up and he's kind of pulled himself back up but what he realized was that um he'd let a lot of this stuff go that he really believed in back in you know sort of 20 years ago and uh, so when we started talking he was like God, I've forgotten all this stuff. And I think actually this is the stuff I need that's going to really help me now. And also this is the stuff that I really believe in. And it sort of ignited a, a, a spark in him as well. So we just got chatting and we said, well, why don't we just record some stuff and see what happens? And so that's what happened really. And um, and he'd been running, he had been running a sort of a, a radio thing um, which he'd kind of let go because again he didn't have the energy for it he didn't have the enthusiasm for it so mm. we sort of took over that platform um rebranded it mindfulness cafe um and so we started off really just recording uh, big topics and ideas very much like you know you would cover just on big things like you know well what is maybe healing what is what is um we talked about my story but we also would talk about forgiveness like the nature of forgiveness gratitude you know just some of those just sort of big well-being ideas uh, and then we got other people involved you know uh sort of nutritionists mindset coaches and we got them on to share so really the whole idea behind it is just for people just to sort of spread a bit of light out into the world you know like you can you can go online and you can see all this negative so you can you want to consume negative content like there's a lot you can consume um so our idea was just to put out an antidote to that and also just to let people find the right things for them so we've we've talked to all sorts of really interesting people and got all sorts of people's stories and found out what it was for them because everybody's different and everybody will find different things that works for them so there's no point in just saying well you know just do mindfulness because that's going to be the thing for you because it might not be the thing for you but you might listen to somebody else's story and find out what they've done you know my best friend's a nutritionist and she comes on and she'll talk about the power of healing that she's found through nutrition and through food like food is her religion if you like you know yeah. and nutrition is her is her spiritual place and her home and uh, so I think it's very important to get just to put some stuff out there that people can respond to and just to kind of counteract some of the other stuff that's that's being put out <laughs> and it's called mindfulness cafe yes so it's the mindfulness cafe so the idea is that people just drop in uh tell their story virtually you know virtually drop in have a cup of green tea or whatever uh tell their story and uh and pop off again you know we just like that idea that it was like a drop-in thing and nothing's off limits like you know it doesn't have to be about mindfulness it can be about anything but it's just about how people have empowered themselves i think the main message about it is empowerment and it's about recognizing that we're more powerful than we think yeah. and that we can do things 
for ourselves because I think we're taught a lot of disempower we sent a lot of disempowering messages like your health isn't in your hands it's in somebody else's hands or right. you know and, yeah, and yeah, so so that, that was the idea I, I I couldn't agree more I mean for me it was starting the podcast was similar in the way I just wanted to give people um, a community because like you have an energy work experience or an energy experience and you've got, who do you talk to about that without potentially damaging yourself? Yeah. Um, whatever it is. You know, I remember, I remember being in the x-ray department, seeing x-rays and saying, I just saw x-rays and they said, no, you didn't. And I was like, actually I did. I saw something. I didn't know what it was. I don't, I'm not saying I now see x-rays, but I had an experience and people just shut you down straight away. And having, uh, you know, having a place where you didn't feel like you were being shut down, somebody was listening to you or sharing a similar experience. Say, yeah, yeah, that's normal. And by the way, you know, you're going to get shut down by a lot of people. So just be, you know, find your, find your, uh, I don't know what you say, find your clans. Yeah, find, find your tribe and, and you never know who they might look like, you know, and you never know who they might be. And we've we've had to kind of just go, look, we're just open to sharing anybody's experience as long as they're the right, as long as they have the right energy to them. And Richard, you and I have discussed this, you know, it's like you, you sort of you, you pick up on it and um, and it's about people that have the same intention, you know, that people have the, the same intention that they just want to go out and help other people and inspire other people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've done a podcast, the, the one that's out this week, actually, which was one again where we were like, do we want to go into this subject or or not? And we've got a witch on and she's talking about witchcraft and um, and there are a lot of myths around that. And But actually you start speaking to her and you hear her story and she started off as a missionary a christian missionary um and ended up becoming a pagan witch and you find out why and it's because she'd gone through this whole whole experience through that through that church and she'd been abused and she'd had to overcome a lot and she ended up being suicidal and she ended up with a lot of health problems she couldn't get out of bed um and she found her own path and you know what was so empowering about speaking to her and actually somebody messaged me today and said that they were they actually brought them to tears hearing hearing her story because Actually, she, she said she she said now I am so accepting of who I am that I can sit on a podcast and I can say I'm a witch and she said and I know people will judge me for that and I know some people will hate me for that and I know that all this and she said but I'm so at peace with who I am now that I can say that and I think that's powerful that's incredible and so that's what we try and do is just have have a platform where we're not advocating anything we're just allowing people a safe space to talk about wonderful their their experience and their journey thank you for coming uh on your discover energy work podcast i'm richard wiggs this is shirley blanche um it's been wonderful we will have to do it again thank you so much richard for having me